The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We are going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians, and so if you don't know where that is, it's in the back part of your Bible. You just open up the back cover, 100 pages in. That's right where we're at, right about, and we're in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And here's what we're going to do. I am going to read this for us. And then pray and ask for God's help as we look at God's Word together. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. When one of you have a grievance, has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than the matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute against the brothers, but brother goes to the law against brother, and that before believers? To have lawsuits at all with anyone, with one another, is already a defeat for you. Would you, why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither shall the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, nor will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this, I pray that what seems like maybe a petty argument um, becomes the word of life for us, to live our lives together, to take the love of Jesus and the love of the gospel, and to put it to work in the small areas of our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, as, we, as we mentioned before, um, this is Palm Sunday. So in the church calendar, this is the day where we celebrate Jesus walks into Jerusalem and says, this is my kingdom, and this is who I am. I'm the king. On Easter, we are going to be celebrating, of all things, the universe getting a new king. And what that means is that Jesus is the true king, and he owns everything, and who he is defines who we are and what we live by. But the interesting thing about the Palm Sunday and about the life of Jesus is that he did not live as a high king, right, who is above everybody, who ruled over everything with a big uh, distance between us and him, right? Have you ever been to a concert and you're like, like the gate for being up to the stage is like 20 feet away from the, from the musicians, right? That's not the way Jesus lived, right? Jesus, he was the high king, the king of the universe, but he came and lived among the normal, everyday, regular issues of our lives. Do you ever wonder what Jesus was up to for 30 years before he started preaching and healing? Probably doing much the same thing you and I were doing this last week, right? Making meals, walking to and from work, paying his bills, having arguments with people, right? Getting, or getting into like little issues here or there. He wasn't above and separated from everything. He lived among the normal things of our lives. This passage that we're looking at helps us get into that reality for what that means for our lives, because we are, uh, 
we have been working through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we are at this point now in the book where we could lose a little bit of some perspective because it seems like this could just be kind of like one hobby horse after another for the Apostle Paul, right? The Apostle Paul's got a, a beef with uh, lawsuits, and we're going to look next week. He's got a, a thing with um, how people do marriage and singleness, and then he's going to talk about culture and how we engage with the world around us. But let's just remember what we've walked through in the book of 1 Corinthians up to this point, right? We, we opened up the book of 1 Corinthians talking about this is what gospel love looks like. You, the church of Corinth, who has a beef with Paul, he still sees God at work in you, and he's grateful for the gospel being active and living, Jesus being real in these people. And then he goes into chapter 2, right? And he talks about what does it mean to be all about the gospel, and how does that confront conflict and confront, right, all these, like, power dynamics that we have in our own hearts and how we bring that into the people of God. And then in chapter 3, he works it out even more. What does it look like to be people who live this life in Jesus together, right? And then in chapter 4, how do we engage with each other without putting our identity on the line, right? How do we live with each other without feeling like I have to win this one to be able to prove who I am? Chapter 5 talks about what does a family border look like? What does it look like when somebody persists in living outside the family border of what it means to be in the life of Jesus? And here we are in chapter 6, and now he picks up, and now lawsuits. <laughs> and we could all be like, bro, what is going on here? Wait, this does not make any sense. But just like we were saying, Jesus lived among the mess of people's lives. Paul is leading us. The gospel isn't just something that we believe, that Jesus died for my sins, thank you, Jesus, and it's all done with, and then I kind of go and live my normal life. He's trying to say, this whole thing, the whole package, your life in Jesus, what he did for you 2,000 years ago, and what you will do with your tweets and texts and meals after dinner, after church today, all that connects, all that matters to him. Because, I'm not sure if this is on your radar, the book of 1 Corinthians is a bit like a mountain. We've been kind of talking about all these things. This is kind of like the beginning entry points to the, book, to the, to the mountain of 1 Corinthians. The peak of 1 Corinthians is chapter 13. Talks about how many have heard love is patient, love is kind, all those things. Maybe how many weddings have you been to where that's read? That is that's the the focus of the book of First Corinthians. And so what we're talking about here with this mess of lawsuits and people taking people to court, it's all in light of that. Like this chapter actually is a bit of like a photo negative of chapter 13, right? This is a photo negative of love is patient, love is kind. Well, here's what unkindness and being impatient looks like. <laughs> right? Book of first, chapter 6 is what it looks like to not be living in light of who God has made us to be in Jesus, what gospel love looks like, right? Because the lawsuits are kind of like the superficial issue, right? Have you ever, like, have you ever gotten in an argument and you're kind of, like, you're, like, angry about something, how the dishes are done or the laundry or whatever, but really there's, like, an underlying resentment underneath there with the relationship, the deeper issue is what Paul's getting after, right? The lawsuits that we're going to be talking about, that's kind of like not the point. The deeper issue is, what does it look like to live out gospel love? Right, so we don't want to lose perspective, right? So we're going to kind of work through the mud of what's going on in this passage. Let's not lose perspective. This is about what does it mean to live out gospel love for our lives. So here's the main point of the passage, right? If you're like, okay, what are we, what's going on here? How do we orient in this passage? Put gospel love to work in the small areas of our lives. Put gospel love to work in the small areas of life. Right? That's, that's what the main point of this is about, right? If we're going to say, Jesus loves me, this I know, 
because the Bible tells me so, right? This gospel narrative, this gospel story, what does it mean for the Son of God to die for my sins? That's true. That's a real big category. This passage, Paul is driving it home to the small areas of our lives. We have to put that love, that gospel reality to work in the small areas of our lives, right? So here we're going to pick out, as we go through this passage, we're going to pick out a little, a few verses from 1 Corinthians 13, and we're going to kind of sprinkle them into these passages as we work through this. And we're going to see how do we put gospel love to work in our areas, right? There's three, basically three components, right? Any good sermon got three points to it. We got three points to this one. <laughs> First thing we're going to pick up, verses 1 through 6, gospel love strives to serve, not dominate. Gospel love strives to serve and not dominate. All right, let's read through these, ver- these first six verses, and then we'll kind of break them down. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare to go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you inco- incompetent to try trivial cases? Man, he is throwing out some harsh language, isn't he? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to the law against brother, and that before unbelievers. So here's, Paul is bringing up this whole category, right? He starts out by saying, right, a grievance against another, right? He starts, he says, a trivial case, right? What is he talking about? What is the issue going on here, right? Basically, what's happening is, in that day, people would have had an issue with one another, and they would have been like, I'm not getting my way. I got to get this thing solved. I've got to get my perspective understood, and let's just go straight to the court. Let's just get this, let's just get a judge, right? Because you're not seeing it my way, and I'm not giving it to your way, and this has got to get resolved. Probably, actually, the back, what was going on in the background it was a bit of like a property dispute, right? Landlords, tenants, right? A property dispute, right? Or somebody got the short end of a stick on an investment deal or a business thing, right? There was something where it was kind of like a gray area of life where it was like, man, sorry, like bad things happen. Like it's just kind of the way it goes. And the guy in charge was just kind of like, I'm not settling for that, Right? Indica- the verses 7 to 8 indicates that that's probably that's what's going on, right? The next three verses that we're going to look at, that there is probably some sort of, you know, proper dispute. What's not in view here, just so you guys are aware, sometimes these verses are used to say, like, the church should never involve civil authorities. Like, if, you're, if, if you want to go further into your Bibles, um, from the back cover of the book of Romans, chapter 13, it says that the state authority is good and the, the law is good and we should obey the law. Uh, and what Paul's not talking about here is like, if there's any illegal activity that happens in the church, don't call the police. That's not what he's saying, right? So um, if there's like anything that's going on that's like illegal, you know, like abuse, murder, thieving, those sort of things, you should call the police, right? This is not a verse to go to and say, see, I don't need to call the police. That's not what's going on here. What's going on here is probably along the lines of like a small claims court. I don't know why, but when I'm at the gym, like whenever I'm kind of like, getting done, uh, what's, on the, what's on the TV is like these like Judge Judy things. You know what I'm talking about? Judge Judy. By the way, did you know that Judge Judy is the highest paid individual on TV? Did you know that? 
Like, a crazy stat. Like, she goes in and works for, like, two days, and she gets paid more than anybody else on TV. Like, the girl's got it rich. Like, I'd love to have her job, man. But the, the Judge Judy, right, so, like, a small claims court, right? Small claims court is kind of like what's in view here. Like, these, like, ah, I spent 800 bucks on a car, and then I got the car, and it had rats living in it. You know, like, that sort of stuff. Like, <laughs> sorry, I'm pulling, like, I hear this in the gym all the time, right? This, this small claims court where it's kind of, like, your preferences aren't getting understood or met, and you're kind of like got the short end of the stick. Like, like how many? Like you have like weird preferences, right? Like Michelle and I realized. Um, Michelle's my wife. We realized a couple of months ago that um, we both like to take eggs out of the carton differently. We've been married for almost 12 years, and I keep wondering, like, why? Why are the eggs being taken out in this order? Well, she likes to take eggs from the back and the front, so when you pick up the egg carton out of the, out of the fridge, it's balanced. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. I would rather sequentially take them from left to right, right? If you don't take them from left to right, you're wrong, right? And then, like, you probably, like, desperately need Jesus if you take them randomly out. Like, those people are, like, out. Like, you can't, you're not allowed in my family. You know, so, but, but those sort of things where, like, you can imagine those sort of things in life where you're, like, oh, like, you know, like, it's not, like, a real big deal, but, like, I have my way that I want it done, and it's not getting met, right? It's not getting solved, it's, or... Another example that I wrote down is people who like cats, you know? Like, I know some of you like cats. Like, you're all about cats. Like, our family, no cats. Now, what if I said, because you have cats, I can't come, because I'm allergic to cats, by the way, I can't come over and have a meal with you and talk about Jesus. And now, because I can't come over to your house and have a meal with Jesus, I'm going to sue you because you're not loving. That's kind of what's in view here, right? Like, it's just kind of ridiculous, but... Paul is picking up on this reality that these people were going to courts and it was a bit ridiculous, but they're really just doing on the outside what we do on the inside, right? They're going after, like, I have to have it my way. And there's another dynamic in this passage. Back in chapter 3, or chapter 2, Paul talks about not many among you are wealthy or rich. Who are the people that t- tend to have the ability to go to, law, like, to go to suits all the time, right? It's people who are well off. So there's a power dynamic here where those who are getting the short end of the stick, but they've got all, like, all the money, they're enforcing their perspective on the people of God, on other members of the church that aren't well off, and saying, you've got to live by my terms. Right? So, and it's not, right, it, having money or being, being well off is not a sin, right? That's, that's not what the Bible's talking about. It's talking about using your gifts to dominate another person, to get your perspective. You guys kind of picking up what's going on in this passage? And we read through this. I can't believe that you're doing this, Paul's saying. You're taking Christians to court to get your perspective enforced upon them. And then he's like, and you're doing that with a court of unbelievers, right? The gospel is filled with the power and wisdom of God. He's just said that in chapter 2. The gospel is filled with the power and wisdom of God to be able to understand your life and to be able to apply the goodness of God in hard situations, Right? And let's look, let's just kind of take, take a step back and look up the path, right? If, we think, I mean, if you're imagining the book of Corinthians like a path up the mountain, remember we said 1 Corinthians 13 is kind of the peak. Let's pick up a verse out of 1 Corinthians 13. Here it's 1 Corinthians 13, um, I have verse 5. Can we throw that slide up there? 1 Corinthians 13, next, that was the next one, there we go. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Right? Listen to this. And if, how much more, if, so verse 4, so if you have such cases, right, relating to what? 
trivial situations. Verse 4, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your saying. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers? Do you think that describes somebody that is being irritable, resentful, and insisting on their own way? I've got this beef, and I've got to get it solved on my own terms. But gospel love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Gospel love, verse 5, I think, this, this lays it up for us. I say this to your shame. Is it not that there is someone among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? What's going on there? They're not serving each other, right? They're insisting on their own way. 1 Corinthians 13, 5. They're insisting on their own I've got to get this solved, this petty issue, this trivial issue. I've got to get it figured out. And it's not getting figured out. It's not getting resolved. I have to insist on my own way. And then the church is being talked to, like us, King's Cross. Imagine this happening in our church. And Paul's saying, like, are you for real? Like, there's nobody wise among you to be able to serve these brothers who've got a, a beef? Who've got a, heart, who've got a difficult situation? Who've got something going on? Right? This is a spiritual negative, this, this chapter, of that reality. Right? Because we are a people that have been gathered together by Jesus. And what is this, what's true about Jesus from this verse? Jesus did not insist on his own way. Right? He's the king. He could have anything he wants. Everything runs according to his will and his design. Right? You and I breathe because he says so today. But he didn't insist on his own will. He came in and he gave his life. He served. He came underneath and helped those who are actually the ones making accusations against himself. And now we're going to be a people that are going to say, yeah, but I have to have it my way, my way or the highway. That's not... That's not the way gospel love lives. Paul is just like totally shocked. As a church, you're going to say you're going to be served by the king of heaven to be saved from Satan, sin, and death. And then we're going to come, under, come against each other and say, I lost money on that business deal. You didn't do things my way. I would have done a thing differently. Maybe this seems a little bit foreign because back then, lawsuits were basically done as just kind of like a way of settling anything, right? And today, by the way, if you have like a car insurance deal, like you have to file suit, like is it a sin to file suit car insurance claim against another Christian? No, because that's just the way you have to settle the insurance claims. But it's a matter of the court, right? Getting a court of opinion in on our issues. So rather than reading this to say, right, why don't we change this a little bit? Rather than saying, do you go to the law? before the unrighteous. Why don't we just ask, if you've got beef with another Christian, why do you go and post about it on Facebook? Why do you go and talk to your coworkers about it? Why do you go and get your unbelieving family and neighbors and friends involved to build a jury to agree with your perspective against another believer in, in Jesus? Does that hit a little bit closer to home? Rather than like going to the court, because I mean, who goes to court to settle a dispute with me, right? But what if somebody posts something on Facebook? Now we're talking about what Paul's got in view here. Building a judge, building a jury, building a courtroom that agrees with my perspective, venting my side so that I get, uh, I get people on my version of the story so that rather than going to my brother and dealing with it, hashing it out and understanding each other, I just build this, I build this whole case against them. And I bring in those who don't have anything to do with the family, family issues, right? But he's saying it also to the church. Right? Verse 5, I say this to your shame. Can there be no one among you that is wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? 
right? This is a, this is a congregational issue, right? As, as, a, as a church, we have to engage with our beef with each other, right? Here's what gospel love looks like in serving another person. Hey, I've heard, I've heard that you will we'll, we'll make up people in the church, right? So I'm not giving anybody um, I've Hey, I've heard Obadiah and Jesse <laughs> have got an issue. Can I, can I sit down with you guys and kind of help you work this out? Can we, can we kind of talk through the issues here? Because it seems like you guys aren't connecting on this issue. It seems like there's something going on here where, where somebody's building a case. I've heard that you were talking to um, so-and-so and so-and-so, and they're like picking up this side of the story, and now you're bringing in people who aren't in the family of Jesus to deal with, a de- with an issue in the family of Jesus. Can I come alongside you guys and help you? Right, the family of Jesus leans into what's going on that's difficult and tense, right? It, it, you know the cool thing here that Paul do, doesn't do? Paul does not say, get over it, right? He says it's a hard, it's a hard issue, right? But they, they're called to engage with it, and they're called to do it in person. They're called to care for each other, to love, live out this gospel love of not insisting on your own way, and do it in person. And use our gifts, right? So he's, it's not a problem to have money and all that stuff, right? But to use those, use those gifts to serve the other people around us, to use it, serve in the people in the church. This is, um, this is why if anybody comes to me and says, hey, you know, something's going on over here, like somebody, you know, blah, blah, you know, this is a, a struggle that I've got with somebody else in the church. My counsel consistently has been, then you need to go and talk to that person. And now that you've told me, I'm going to check up and make sure that you've done that. Because this is the small areas of life, right? These are small grievances that we got each, with each other. Taking, taking our, our gifts and talents to serve in those small areas. Is that tracking? Are we, are we all on the same page? It's a little warm in here, by the way. I'm like burning up up here. Maybe it's the flannel. Okay? You guys are war- cool? All right, we're going to go on. Yeah, we're going to pick up in verse 7 here then, Okay. So gospel love strives to serve, not dominate, verses 1 through 6. Gospel love bears all things and doesn't get even. Right, verses 7 to 8. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. So Paul is getting after this issue, right? someone's property or money was lost and there, there was something broken and they weren't going to tolerate it, right? I'm going to have my day in court. I'm going to get my way. And he's aiming at the art issue, art, heart issue here. And he's really just basically saying like, so you've gotten the short end of a deal. You're, you're not being understood. Somebody's, you've actually lost money or you've, you've lost property and you're taking them to court? Over, is it really that important? Like, is it really that essential? Is it really, you know, you, you have like, when my kids kind of like freak out over like not having the yellow plate and they want the purple plate. Is it really that important? Apparently it is, you know? He's kind of saying the same thing. I like, said, is it really that big a deal, guys? Like when you're taking it to the court. But not only that, but it's like, in, like with my kids, right? I want the yellow plate, not the purple plate. Well, I just gave you the yellow plate, and you threw it on the floor, right? There's a little bit of, like, you're not connecting the big picture here, right? There, he's calling out, basically, um, there's a bit of hypocrisy going on, right? You guys are, it's really that big a deal? Would you, but weren't you yourselves wrong and defrauded? 
Aren't you the ones who've wronged and defrauded your brothers? All right, there's a hypocrisy going on here. And it's a defeat for them, right? What is he talking about there? It's verse 7. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. You are a people that have been saved by Jesus at the cost of his own life, and you're going to take your brothers to court rather than be defrauded and robbed? That just sounds like spiritual poverty. There is something missing. There is something going on here where you are not getting the fullness of Jesus. You're not living in who he is, and you're not growing in the gospel, right? The entirety of the Old Testament, summarized in Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount and the great commandment to love your neighbor as yourself, right? It culminates in love your neighbor as yourself at your own expense, right? Can you imagine? Remember first in, in Matthew where Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, unless somebody is giving you the short end of the stick because then you have to get your own way. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, unless you can get it solved quickly on your own terms, and then you can be happy, right? That's not what Jesus says. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Right? You're called to be a peacemaker, except unless you could get your own way through the courts and get it solved and get the court of public opinion and somebody on your Facebook page to comment about how much, yes, that person is a horrible person, and how could they have ever done that to you? Now you've forfeited the, right, the ability to become a peacemaker in a, in a tense situation where you've got beef or a, or a problem with somebody else in the church, right? right? Jesus doesn't give those caveats. But he goes on, chapter 5, verse 38, You have heard that it is said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have the other cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Go to the one who begs from you, give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is where Jesus is basically saying, like, um, you're going to be on the short end of the stick a lot. That's what the gospel is, right? Jesus got the short end of the stick. He got the, he got the bad part of the deal in this relationship, right? What's our relationship with Jesus? Hey, Jesus, um, I am broken at the deepest possible level of who I am. I am in desperate need of your help, but I can't do anything to help you. <laughs> I am not only full of just making bad decisions all the time, but then I have repercussions. My life wrecks other people. And who's Jesus? Hi, I'm the king of the universe. I've made everything good. I am myself goodness, and I have never done anything wrong. I have been infinitely good and faithful and pure in everything about who I am, and I want to be in a relationship with you. But here's how that's going to happen. I'm going to have to take on all that you deserve for everything that you've ever done, and I'm going to take the wrath of God for that. And what do you get? Oh, oh, you get all that I own, the universe and me thrown in. <laughs> you get, who's getting, <laughs> that, that deal does not make sense. If that's, if that's the deal that defines your life, yeah, somebody broke something at my house. Yeah, somebody, you know, broke the window on my car. Yeah, you know, I was in a business relationship with another Christian, and things went south. Like, okay. Paul's saying, like, do you think you can kind of, like, embrace that with the gospel and say, all right, there's always going to be brokenness and sin. 
How do I respond to the mess of what other people's decisions make in my life? Right? First, uh, the, uh, the Apostle Peter says, love covers a multitude of sins. We often want to believe that until it's the sins that directly affect us, right? Love covers a multitude of sins, except for this one, except for these people who have made these decisions, right? That's when we're trying to get even. Jesus was defamed and defrauded and wronged, right? This is 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Can we throw that one up there? 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And Paul's saying, even, verse 7 and 8, I'm way off here, even when you are defrauded and wronged, verse 7, right? Even when you have been defrauded and wronged by other Christians. I had a friend of mine, some friends of mine who owned a business together. It was a carpentry business. And one of them was the owner and founder of it. And um, he had a particular vision for the company. And ultimately, it came to a situation where the two of them that worked together, um, he basically said, all right, I'm tired of dealing with your hesitations about this business. And he basically cut him out, gave him a couple hundred bucks, and said, you're done. And this was a company that had grown and was worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. And he basically just cut this guy out with a couple hundred bucks. And those situations, you could be like, dude, are you even a Christian? Like, you basically just like cut out a guy who's given his life to build this company. Well, sometimes kind of like this passage, was this guy doing anything sinful and wrong? Yeah, probably. But the other guy had his part of it too. And they kind of got the short end of the stick. Is the gospel powerful enough then? When you're in a, when you're in a situation in your marriage, where you have had, you have talked and talked and talked and talked, and you're still not in agreement. Does the gospel have power then to not only get your way, but to not get even? Right? When you have in a relationship given and given and given and given, and then you still are being spat at. You're still getting the short end of the stick. Does a God, is the gospel powerful then? I, I've heard multiple times with my non-Christian friends or people who left the church, not our church in particular, but just in general, um, the church hurt me, right? People in the church, they did me wrong. People in the church, they made decisions that, that burned me. That may be true. People, you, know, you know what's true about every church on the planet? It's a bunch of sinners all gathered around one Jesus, Right? It's a bunch of broken people. Does that excuse the, the, the way in which people have been hurt? No, it doesn't excuse it. People have been hurt leaving churches. People have been hurt and left the church and the faith altogether. But if the gospel is true, we can look at those situations where we've been hurt and burned and say, even here the gospel is powerful. Even here I don't have to get even. Even here, I don't have to have my full say in court. Even here, I don't have to insist on my own way. Even here, I don't have to take it to other people and get a final verdict in my favor because those guys did me wrong. Even here, we can say, love covers a multitude of sins. Love does not insist on its own way. Love bears all things. Right? Can you bear it with Jesus when somebody in the church does something where you get the short end on it? Jesus did, which means that he can relate. That's the thing. This passage, Paul does never, he never minimizes the fact that they've been defrauded or stolen from or whatever it was, right? 
He doesn't, he doesn't say like, it wasn't that bad, guys. Well, being defrauded is kind of like, that kind of is like a, a bad, <laughs> that kind of hurts, right? But even in those hard situations amongst people in the church, Paul says, even here, Jesus is powerful. Even here, gospel love works out so that your heart and your soul are in a place where Jesus lives, where Jesus gives grace, where Jesus says, I know what it's like to be defrauded. I know what it's like to be hurt by other people. I know what it's like to get the short end of the stick. I know what that's like to be defamed with other, with other Christians in another church. I know what that's like. And we can live in this gospel reality that, you know what, if Jesus knows that like, knows what that like, and he lives with me, and he conquers, I can bear up with his love. Let's finish out this passage here, verses 9 through 11, because gospel love doesn't insist on its own. It, gospel love strives to serve, not dominate. Gospel love bears all things. It doesn't get even. And then gospel love lives in grace, not evil counsel. Verses 9 through 11, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not, de- do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor thieves, nor greedy, <clears throat> sorry, I lost my place, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. See, what Paul is talking about here, he's not kind of giving like a list of like, these are the people that are beyond the mercy of God. These are the people who will never inherit the kingdom of heaven. Because actually some of those people were the people who are now a part of that church, right? <laughs> right? They, all had, they all got checkered past. They've all got bad resumes for Jesus. But that's not the point. Paul is going after this thing, that, um, the same thing that Jesus does, where Jesus talks about beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, right? Beware of these small things, these small areas of our lives where we take in counsel and we take in ideas and we take in narratives or, or how we think about things that, are, that don't include Jesus in the mix, right? That don't have Jesus in the center of them because they bear fruit, right? Paul is going after this list and these are all lists of things that begin with small things and small decisions and small areas of weakness, small areas of brokenness that then bear fruit and become these big categories, Right? These big categories start with small areas, small seeds. Your soul will reap what you sow into it. That's what Paul's pointing out with this list. This list is not intended to be like, don't associate with anybody who's ever done one of these things, right? That's not, because if, if that were the case, King's Cross would have zero members, right? That's not the point. The point is to say, be careful how these counsels, these counselors, friends of yours, that maybe these things describe and define their lives, be careful how those things influence who you are. Be careful how, they take in, how you take in those, those counsels. Because right, this lawsuit thing that happened, basically all this happened in that situation is just basically the pressures of life got intense and somebody had a gut re- re- reaction. Here's how I'm going to deal with that. You know what? When you're going to push me like that, here's how I'm going to respond to that. That's how you get this list, right? When you push me like this or when I don't look at what I want, here's how, I, here's how I'm going to respond and make myself happy, right? Their life narratives do not include Jesus. How do you understand yourself, your pressures, your goals, and your sorrows? Are you going to include Jesus or are you going to include evil counsel? 
right? And that's not to say, that we, do we have non-Christian friends, right? That if you're not a Christian here, this isn't saying, your opinion doesn't matter to me. <laughs> that's not what this is saying. What it's saying is, if you're in Jesus, you want to get the perspective of Jesus' people to help you check your heart, to help you get the gospel deep in who you are, to help you understand who you are and to live out your life, right? It's not saying, like Paul says early, just in the chapter before, right, I did not mean verse 10 of chapter 5, I did not mean to not associate with a sexually immoral greeter, basically the same list, because then you would have to go out of the world, right? He's not saying don't talk to those people. He is saying, are you going to the family of Jesus to get the grace of Jesus as the primary narrative of your life, right? And that's what he does, right? He lists this whole list. These, these, these are folks that have chosen at a fundamental level, ultimately, to not let grace define who their, their life is. It doesn't mean that you can't struggle with greed. It doesn't mean you, can, you can't struggle with sexual identity. It doesn't mean that you can't struggle with substances. It doesn't mean that you can't struggle with how you use your words. But at the end of the day, with that struggle must include Jesus. The gospel cares about those areas of our life. Because here, verse 11, and such were some of you, but you were what? You were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified. Right? Does that sound like the gospel to you? That's what the gospel is, right? The gospel is God taking somebody who does not want God in their life and saying, I want to wash you. You're all dirty. All this muck, all this muck that's going on here, this, you've messed up your whole life. But like a baby, you give a bath to a baby, right? Like especially a newborn baby, they just kind of like sit into the water and just kind of like enjoy the bath. At least my babies did, you know. She washed, getting them all clean, getting the, getting the muck out of, the, especially like with a baby with all those like rolls, you know, you like got to get them out of the, like the, get, out, get, the, get the dirt out of the rolls. Like just washed, get them cleaned. Right? You were washed, you were sanctified, you were given a new nature. Remember that? Pick that up from the beginning of verse, chapter 6, right? He calls them what? Calls them saints, right? These are people that have got all this messed up stuff going on, but they've got a new position with God. They've got a new place in God's family. They are not enemies. They're not on the other side of the border shooting guns at God, right? They're actually saints. They're citizens. They're in the house with God. They're in his family. You, if you're in Jesus, you have been washed and you have been sanctified. What that means is that you have been given the power, you've been given the spirit to walk with God, to live out all these hard realities, like all these hard d- dynamics in your life where you're getting defrauded and defamed and all this stuff, to put the power of Jesus to play in those areas, the small areas of your life. And you were justified, right? We, speaking of courts and lawsuits, right? The ultimate court, the ultimate lawsuit that be labored, that be, be put against you, right? has been placed on Jesus instead. Jesus has taken on God's lawsuit for you and taken on all the liability that you bring, right? Talking about lawsuit stuff. All all of the debt that you bring to the lawsuit, Jesus has said, it's now mine and he owns it, right? All the sins in your life, all the failures, all the weaknesses, actually those belong to Jesus if you're in Jesus now, right? Those belong to him, right? Again, the gospel is like the worst deal on the planet for God because God got all of our debt, all of the things, all the weaknesses and sin and shame that we bring to the table, and now he owns it. That's a great inheritance, isn't it? But then he deals with it. And now that you've been justified, you've been given all the fullness and goodness of, of God 
as yours. You own it forever, right? That's why Paul at the beginning of the passage talks about the end day, right, where you're going to be joining God and making decisions about the world and the universe. And what was it done in? You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Right? Do you, not, do you notice there's a little hint here of the Trinity, right? You're justified in whose name? Jesus, by the Spirit, with the Father. Right? Here is grace comes from, a, from God who is a community in himself, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons and one God. The grace comes from the community of God himself, the community of the Godhead, the community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, and then lives itself out amongst a community of Jesus that is full of people like me. If you're anything like me, I'm not going to presume that you have all these internal issues just like me, but maybe you do. I'm just going to jump out on the ledge. People who've got beef and struggles and strains with each other. The Trinity lives out this grace, this gospel love among us. So this week, when you have beef or struggles with somebody else in the church, you're joining the Holy Spirit's, the triune God's work in helping to make that person become more like Jesus because you're in the mix too, right? The small areas of our lives where we got all these struggles, right? It's not only true of me that God is sanctifying me and washed me and justified me in Jesus. It's true of the other person as well. And we are joining the, that, our God's work in shaping who we are. It's money, right? These are muddy situations. It's never clear. Like, it's never obvious one way or the other in the, these difficult situations. This week, when you're doing your family life or you're doing the dishes or you're doing the laundry or you're folding the laundry or you're doing the laundry again, if you're in my house, just constant, unending laundry. When you're doing your chores or with your work, with people in your work, or you're driving or you're hanging out with your friends who aren't Christians and you are hanging out with people who are in the church, does the gospel matter there? Does Jesus' love shape how you think about that stuff there? Don't take your issues to people who aren't equipped with the gospel to change the situation. Go to the, go to the other people in your life. Go to the church. Go to people in your small group so that we can put the gospel, put the love of the gospel to work in the small areas of our lives. Let's pray. Father, as we think about what it means to be a disciple and to, to put the gospel to work in our lives, um, we need your help. There's all these ways in which we have these issues and we have struggles and strains, and we need your help. So I pray that you would help us to put the gospel to work in the small areas of our lives because they matter to you. And would you do this to make Jesus look great? In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.